what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. I am Pashi and with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how about them Grammys, dog? Ha ha ha. I care almost as much as Drake and Frank Ocean, dog. Did you watch? No. Hell no. No. I put myself through it. I was so hopeful. We're going to get into the Grammys briefly. We're going to be talking Sundance and we're also going to be talking Phantom Thread and Culture 2. Culture 2. Ice, ice. That's like my worst Migos impression ever. But before we get going too far, <laughs> if you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. Please share with friends, subscribe down below, and give us a rating and review on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback and all the support. Help us grow as a podcast. So jumping back into the Grammy talk real quick. Man, fuck the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's literally the first note I have written down for this, because uh, they, they just never get it right. And the night kind of kicked off on a bad note. When hours before it came out that Lord was the only album of the year artist to not be offered their own spot to sing. Album of the year. Solos. A solo spot, right. She was asked to do a uh, Tom Petty tribute collaboration, but Donald Glover, Jay-Z, Kendrick, and Bruno Mars all were offered solo performance options. And Lord just said, fuck you, I'm not going to perform, which good for her. But with the current climate in Hollywood, on a scale of one to tone deaf, how tone deaf is this? It's another sign of the fact that the Grammys have the oldest voting body of all the award shows that people pay attention to. Uh, what was it? It's funny, uh, Lord's mom tweeted, a, well, I think it was a New York Times clip, and it said of the last six Grammys of the 899 nominees, 9% were women, 9%. which then you know leads to that comment, the head of the Recording Academy, whoever that dude was, who said that you know women need to step up to uh, win more <laughs> awards. And I was like, I mean, you can listen to our uh, breakout about the problem with music festivals at uh, SoundCloud.com mm-hmm. slash Nostalgia Pod, breakout on YouTube, where female acts are not getting booked at festivals. And they're also not getting really recognized at the award shows. It's, you know, part of the same problem. And then when the only award given out on the telecast, obviously most of the awards are not given out on TV, um, the only award given out on screen is to Alessia Cara for Best New Artist. You know, I feel bad that everyone's jumping down her throat for winning because, first of all, everyone is right. I mean, Alessia Carr's album, debut album, only album, came out in the fall of 2015. She had multi-platinum singles off that, but she's not a best new artist anymore. The Grammy definition is you're a best new artist if you've never been nominated for a Grammy before. That's fucking stupid. Like, mm-hmm. like so there comes stupid. a... It, it's like... Like the double XL freshman list kind of has this issue sometimes where you have to, you can't have released a commercial studio album. So Absol and Schoolboy Q got on the list when they were both like almost 30 years old because they didn't, they weren't signed. TDE wasn't part of Interscope when they released their first albums, right? Similar right. thing. But for the Grammys to pull this off, when they recognize a lot of people that are much newer on the scene, like Khalid and Uzi and Julia Michaels and SZA, of course, who also really isn't that new. It just, I feel bad for uh, Alessia Carr, because she, she shouldn't have to defend herself for winning the award. I think she is a good artist, but it's just a lot of negativity coming off the, the show. And then Despacito for Song of the Year. I mean, I'm not the biggest Despacito fan, but that is like the, the song biggest the song in the history of, of the world right now. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be one of the biggest songs ever. What does that say about Spanish music if the song is big and as relevant as Despacito Loses it, that's what I like. What, what does that really say to Spanish uh, musicians? Mm-hmm. And then, damn, the most radio-friendly, radio-dominant record that Kendrick ever put out still doesn't win Album of the Year. And what does that yeah. say about rappers? There's only been two rap albums to win Album of the Year, Lauren Hill and Outkast. I mean, it's fucking stupid. Really ridiculous. And that's nothing against Bruno. We like the 24 Care Magic a lot. The fact remains that 
of all the album of the year nominees, 24 Karat Magic did have the lowest meta score on Metacritic. You know, if we probably should have had control from SZA in there over Gambino, case still stands. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot of, you know, misses on the Grammys part. And it's just frustrating because, I mean, you have Jay-Z up there nominated, what, eight times, gets no wins. I mean, you can kiss that. Could, he's never coming back. You know, no. the only reason he came back this time is because they you've been kind of treating Beyonce right, even though you never give her album of the year either because you love Adele. Mm-hmm. So you can kiss them, them those two goodbye from ever coming back. It's really bad. I mean, the Oscars we we talked was it last week about how much we were impressed and happy with the Oscar nominations and how you know on point they were. Mm-hmm. The Grammys are nowhere close, and then no. they, they the voting body, which is still old and traditional, just they want to gatekeep, but they just don't know. You know how to do it. And I think when the Grammy nominations we came out, we were pleasantly surprised with the nominations, you know, saying like they got it mostly right, especially actually giving Bruno so much love. There's a difference between giving someone a nod saying that your album deserves to be in the discussion and saying it actually should win, that it's it's so far apart from where it should be. And to swing back to what, you know, the women have to step their game up quote, out of the albums dropped last year and, and we, when we did our review i think out of our top 10 we each had women in the two female pop stars or female artists mm-hmm. in the top five of ours uh, with control and melodrama you have two women uh, different races different styles of music that are there that you can promote and basically just say like here is the next generation here's who we're getting behind to like push this movement forward and to promote more equality in music and you put fucking sting and bono on stage like two times each i mean sure bono and edge coming out to back kendrick whatever i get it like that's fine i'm, I'm happy for them to play that role giving them their own song like in, in front of uh ellis island like just fucking stupid and i don't want to hear that goddamn shaggy and uh, sting song on, on stage at the music award ceremony ever again it's so disheartening and you know you want to reward people who do good stuff bruno mars does good stuff he plays the game like he he did the super bowl twice he's just he's known for being this he's happily a part of the industry exactly and if, if that's how you're going to reward it then there's really no point in even ever paying attention to the grammys and they've kind of made that clear that if yeah. you really care about what the grammys think you're just not really a music fan at this point. We could probably keep bashing them all day, but were there any moments from the Grammys you took away that you were like, eh, those weren't those weren't so bad? Kendrick won all the other rap awards. I mean, that's yeah. fine, but I mean, I, mean, I, I thought his. I, I didn't watch it live, so I don't, I don't, I didn't really catch most of the performances. The Kendrick performance, obviously, really good. Uh, he stepped mm-hmm. up big. Is this the last time he shows up for a long time? You not know, it might be. Damn, isn't his best record, but it's his most radio friendly, his most mainstream, his most you know listenable. He, he, he played his version of the game. Yep. And they said, now nah, we'll take the homage record from Bruno because, you know, that's 30 minutes long and it's really listenable, which, again, Stupid. that's okay. But, I mean, I think he lost Kendrick. So, Definitely. No, I, I don't really have anything positive to say. The only moments I thought were great, Donald Glover and Kendrick, their, their performances stood out both fantastic. Yeah, and yeah they both terrified. That was cool. That was good. Yeah. Ben Platt, he was part of honoring, I forgot who the two famous, it was a... Andrew Lloyd Webber and someone else I can't remember, but basically sang a, a rendition of um, a Broadway song. Uh, he's Benji from Pitch Perfect, if you don't know. Uh, right. he's, and he plays Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway right now, so he's killing it. That's like the most popular Broadway show out there behind Hamilton. And then Kesha, that it was yeah. a really powerful performance, but with just the way that they responded to everything else having to do with females in the industry, it just felt so 
contrived. Right. And also the catch a moment. It's like, here it is. Yeah. It was. <laughs> exactly. You know, clap yeah. our hands. We did it. Like, oh, they, like they literally said, Kesha is about to make a Grammy history moment. Like, if you're pumping it up like that, is it really that great? And, you know, if you really thought that, you could have given her the win. for Yeah, playing, exactly. For you know, and Ed Sheeran won uh, for Shape of You for Best Pop Solo Performance <laughs> against Pink, Kelly Clarkson, and Kesha. Yeah. So it's like, you, you really just don't give a fuck about women. <laughs> and guess who also didn't care? Ed Sheeran. He also wasn't there. Yep. <laughs> didn't you know? even show up. Uh, so so bad there, there's a great picture of kanye eating by himself in a, a restaurant uh, yeah, during the grammys that. fucking so awesome all right why don't we jump something that people should care about sundance last year sundance was a pretty big indicator of the movies that made an impact uh, a ghost story which i don't think either which we didn't review or neither one of us saw but that had an early buzz in the year call me by your name came out of it which we did a review on check that out soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod in our youtube page big sick and mudbound i believe all came out correct yeah and uh, get out as well right oh how can i forget that probably what biggest second biggest movie out of all of those so yeah what tell me about sundance this year you you were following it pretty closely over the weekend what what came out of it yeah so i mean sundance is you know it's spread out over two weeks or so in park city so you kind of gotta just let it happen before you can kind of dive into the, the conclusions the takeaways but yeah so it's interesting because on one hand on a surface level i mean me doing my digging you know reading the pieces reading the early reviews i mean there are a lot of movies that look interesting, look good, have good good casts, and the reviews are really strong. Then on the other hand, it was a really slow Sundance and, and a kind of, I guess, weak Sundance because most distributors, most you know people looking to make acquisitions sat it out. You know, uh, you know, last year, Netflix paid $12.5 million for Mudbound. Amazon paid $12 million for The Big Sick. Netflix and Amazon, you know, total, Netflix had 10 acquisitions out of Sundance last year. Amazon had five. Both of them have zero acquisitions this year, which is interesting because, I mean, some of the movies, uh, Wildlife, directed by Paul Dano with Carey Mulligan, hmm. uh, Damsel with Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowska, the, the girl from Alice in Wonderland, ah, okay. Sorry to Bother You with Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, and Army Hammer, yeah. Burden with Garrett Hedlund, which is a Ku Klux Klan redemption story. Forrest Whitaker's in there as well. The Tale with Laura Dern, which is about uh, very resonant in terms of Me Too. And then let's see, two more. Beirut with John Hamm, written by Tony Gilroy. Really talented group there. Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot with Jonah Hill and Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Gus Van Zandt. And lastly, Assassination Nation. So there is a lot of buzzworthy movies there. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, HBO picked up the tale and apparently they're going to market it as a TV movie and campaign for Laura Dern for the Emmys. Wow. Not release in the theater. So that's interesting. I guess it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Get Laura Dern that Emmy, dog. <laughs> Sorry to bother you. was picked up by Annapurna. And uh, don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Amazon had actually already picked that up pre-Sundance. So, you know, the, the most expensive movie out of this was Assassination Nation, which was co-picked up by AGBO, which is a production, a distribution group from the Russo brothers, the guys who direct uh, Civil War and uh, Infinity War for Marvel, for Marvel, as well as Neon, which is kind of a newer player, but they actually are behind Itania this year. So I want to see most of these movies based off the buzz, but it's interesting that Netflix and Amazon, as well as A24, Fox Searchlight, and Focus Features, none of them have bought anything. What do you, what do you make of the slow market this year for these Sundance movies? These yes. So I really don't really have an answer for A24, Fox Searchlight, and Focus Features because they're more traditional 
mm-hmm. distributors. They're just, I mean, you know, obviously we talk about A24 a lot. They're just, you know, they're smaller, of course. But Amazon, Netflix, I mean, it just seems that, and we talk about how they're in the business of original content. And Netflix in particular likes to own their own content, produce it, start to finish. That way they control every aspect of it and thus control every aspect of profiting from it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's actually kind of extending to a movie's. Rather than go to Sundance and go buy movies that were already done, they're getting movies started from from the start, you know? Mm-hmm. So everything's just going in-house. Right. And they're just becoming more self-sufficient, more independent, if you will. And there are a few movies like uh, Life Itself from Dan Fogelman. Amazon pre-bought that, and then that movie didn't even go to Sundance. So it looks like that's going to happen for the st- big two streamers. Or they're just gonna, you know, get in from the start. But yeah, it's interesting because you would have thought that Amazon, despite you know we talked about uh, last week about them cutting back on indies, they still said they want to be a part of indies. Uh, so you thought they could have maybe picked some of these up, you know, for a few million bucks. But ultimately, we'll see if it really matters that much because I mean, all these movies will get their fair shake. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna be smaller releases, but I think all these movies will definitely be seen. Out of the ones that you talked about, which ones are, the, are are you most excited to see, or you feel like could make the biggest buzz this year? Yeah, so I think the two big but biggest ones are the tale with Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, the, the whole sound of it, the whole premise that just sounds like it could really take off this year, given the climate we're in. And mm-hmm. then, sorry to bother you, is apparently just bonkers. And he, Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Army Hammer, like I said, also has Terry Crews, Stephen Young from The Walking Dead, David Cross, and Shout Danny out David Glover. Cross. I, I think that'll that'll do really good. Uh, Stanfield and Tessa Thompson, they're both, you know, really taken off the past few years. So, yeah, I would put my money on those two. Well, and Army Hammer had, like, a resurgence last year. You know, yeah, that's a, no doubt. <laughs> that's a buzzworthy cast right now. There were a couple other ones that, just in flipping through notes I saw, caught my eye. Here Beats Loud has Nick Offerman and Kirsty Clemens. Uh, it's like a father-daughter yeah. tale. And Kirsty Clemens, I hear, puts on a performance that could uh, poise her to be the next breakout female star, which is exciting. Also, Hereditary. Seems like it could be mm. the get out of this year. A24. Yeah. Oh, is it A24? Did you mention that one already? No, but the trailer's already out. Yeah, I think it dropped last weekend. It has uh, Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, and Ann Dowd, who's just off of, obviously, Leftovers, leftovers but also she was on Handmaid's. the... Yeah, Handmaid's Tale. Um, and it, it's a horror movie that seems to draw a lot from you know the 70s horror movies that were very popular like the exorcist but it has its own tone and feel to it which has made mm-hmm. it very buzzworthy i'm also really excited to see burden it won the sundance award which is like their biggest prize that they give out and garrett headland back in, in the kkk man can't get away from it <laughs> yeah he's he's good at playing a southern boy so uh, <laughs> apparently post mudbound keep it going i guess <laughs> yeah and just one more that i i thought might be a name to keep an eye on Reynaldo Marcus he directed a movie at Sundance called Monsters and Men it's a fictional retelling of the Eric Gardner murder in 2014 oh, and wow. they tell the story from three different perspectives he made a short film in 2015 that was seen and, and got him this this role as a director and it seems like he's going to be a, a director on the rise so someone to keep an eye on any more takeaways from Sundance for you no yeah like, like I was saying I think it seems like it was just kind of a slow year mm-hmm. you know in terms of you know things getting picked up being getting bought last year seems to have kind of been an outlier with you know multiple movies being bought for over 12 million right uh, it seems like everything's gonna be yeah middle middle millions which obviously is a very healthy offer for anyone you know coming out of these reports and Netflix sat out apparently there's 
talk that they're targeting Inaritu. They want to get him to make a movie for them, wow. which would be really cool. There was also a rumor about a week and a half ago that they were in talks with Paramount, I believe, to pick up Cloverfield 3, hmm. which was being called God Particle. That title might be changing, but that would be really interesting because that's a movie that was initially going to come out in February. It's now currently slated for April, but we have seen no pictures, no trailers, no nothing. Very like a, much like Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> so that's something to keep an eye on because also they just announced that Cloverfield 4 is coming out in the fall and has already done filming. <laughs> it stars one of the guys from Fences as well as Kurt Russell's son, who was in the Black Mirror episode Playtest. You ah. know, the guy who, the traveler dude who yeah. had the thing happen to him. So yeah, the Cloverfield franchise, which is, you know, financed by J.J. Uh, Abrams' Bad Robot Company, quietly, you know, sneaking around there. So keep an eye on that. You know, Cloverfield was a movie I never thought would even get a sequel. And then <laughs> when it did, I was pumped. I wouldn't, I'd never thought it would become a franchise. So that's pretty exciting. Movie Pass made a little bit of buzz this weekend too, right? Yeah, they picked up American Animals with... Uh, the Orchard, so they'll be like they'll be co-distributors for a cool three million. So that's Movie Pass's first movie that they'll financially invested in, and also of course could, you know, make money from, you know, down the line. So that's interesting. First uh, Movie Pass Ventures acquisition. So we're going to be probably talking about some of these movies, if not most of them, moving forward. Give us your thoughts on Sundance. Anything that we missed? Hit us up on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. Or leave a comment below on YouTube or SoundCloud. Why don't we jump to Culture 2, an album that ah. you said, Dave, you wanted them to take their time with. You wanted them to only release it when it was really ready. What were your thoughts? Was this ready? No. So it came out, I think, <laughs> to the day of the one-year anniversary of Culture 1. Mm -hmm. This album is 11 songs longer than Culture 1 and about 45 minutes longer. It's an hour and 40 minutes, 40-plus minutes, 105 whatever. 105 minutes. It's really disingenuous to call it an album. It's very much a playlist, like Drake's More Life. Drake. Because it was released with 24 tracks to game the charts. Mm -hmm. The way music business uh, works these days is you make money you know, by streaming. Every 1,500 plays equals one album. So. Right. And one pretty obvious way to make money streaming is to make more songs to stream. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what they did. And the reason I was apprehensive that it was coming so soon is because, you know, I wanted them to take their time. Uh, Culture One was so fresh and so innovative and it was such a moment. Slow your roll. It's okay. Let's, let's you know, get another one. But Culture Two is very much Migos. All three of them really just kind of doing what they're good at, doing more of the same. Mm -hmm. But when it's going on for this long, the lack of versatility, the underwritten hooks, the bad choruses really all just stands out. And it does not justify its very long runtime, obviously, which is disappointing because there are some really good moments on this that I really enjoy. I just wish this thing had 10 less tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's actually funny because I think the thing that was so, first of all, calling your album culture is such a ballsy move. And then to deliver tenfold on it is just so amazing. To then follow it up with naming the album culture too, and then to basically drop a i would consider this a flop for me i mean there are good songs on here people are going to be buzzing about it for a little bit but to not live up to culture one i don't know it's it's definitely a disappointment they weren't even inventive which i think was the thing about their sound that came out on culture one and really grabbed the the nation by storm the music nation by storm is that they were so refreshing and fun to listen to and it was different than most other rap groups you had heard at, at this time i mean people 
definitely had had elements of it, but their their flow was so infectious that no one has that. For the first nine tracks, they have the same setup for every song, where it's I believe it's a Quavo hook and then a Quavo verse, and then it drops into someone else. And the only backing you hear for like the first two minutes on those songs are just dropping. It really just seemed like they wanted to get this album out. They wanted to have more songs out there. They wanted to be charting, be making money, which I, I respect. I mean, the game is the game. But for a group like Migos, which has the potential to, I mean, they are one of the premier groups in rap right now. They could have absolutely just taken the reins. I, I think if Ray Schremer, did, you know, Shrem Life 3 comes out and it kicks ass, it could put them on the same stratosphere as Migos, where Migos could have vaulted themselves way above anybody else at this point. It's also disappointing because Takeoff is actually really good He's awesome. on Culture 2 a lot. Yeah. He is obviously the forgotten man on Culture 1. Obviously, do I look like I was left off bad and bougie is a meme. Mm-hmm. He's the only one without his own Wikipedia page still. But Takeoff, I think, really shines. And as they've kind of left their mixtape days and then they got, you know, uh, obviously really mainstream leading up to culture with Bad and Bougie, Quavo, I think his lyrics have definitely, you know, come down. He's really just kind of become a, a hook man. Yep. Usually the autotune is, is good. I, I don't mind that, of course. Mm-hmm. But Offset, obviously, is the one who does all the you know, the lyrical gymnastics and, the, you know, the really good rapping. But Takeoff really came into his own on this. And it's just disappointing because you have to kind of seek out those songs remember which songs they were because they're hidden yep. between a lot of filler <laughs> <laughs> and like you know I, I i was foolishly optimistic that i was like oh well you know the quality control volume one label mixtape from december the Migos were on like half of those 30 songs so like that was their filler you know that was their studio leftovers you know mm-hmm. they save all the good stuff and yeah, they saved some good stuff, but they also saved a lot of crap. And it's it's just disappointing because you know I, I just thought they didn't need to didn't need to do this. You know they just didn't need to do the cash out move. Well, especially because they've been on everything. Like they've been featured on like a song every single weekend on Spotify. I see them like Quavo on another song or take off on another. Exactly, and you know and Quavo he made I think like or co-produced like ten beats on the album. Mm. You know, and there's some good beats there, but. You know, so it's it's not like they they, they totally uh, sat on their hands, but I just think in the booth they just very much just kind of did more of the same. And you know, I was kind of worried when I heard "Superstars," which I think is a totally fine Migos song. I do enjoy it, but it's very much Migos by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think if if there's good songs to work look to, songs to take away to go back to, I think uh, honestly, I think the lead single "Stir Fry" yep. is still really great. There's actually a pretty funny asian-inspired music video for it out now that's you know it's a really funky pharrell beat that evidently pharrell's been sitting on for 10 years crazy uh, and he finally gave it to migos but i think they deliver on that i think superstars is okay i think work hard is probably my favorite song on the album i think the hook is one of quavo's best hooks in a very long time autopilot i really like that's quavo beat that's good narcos i really Mm -hmm. like as well it's one of the ones i had down gang gang yeah, gang gang, so pretty good. Too much jewelry, I like. Like, there's some moments like, like too much jewelry. Like, that, that's a, that's an awesome Quavo hook. It really works, you know. What about walk it like it? Okay. Yeah, so see, walk it <laughs> like I talk it. BBO mm-hmm. with Twenty One and Drake respectively. Like those songs, I think like they're good, but I just think the, the hooks were a little underwritten, so they're kind of yeah. annoying. I think the Twenty One verse is, is pretty good. Uh, yeah, definitely, he stood out. Notice me is probably take one of Takeoff's shining songs. Mm-hmm. I think I believe that has a Post Malone hook, but it works pretty well. The Two Chains song, Two Chains really stands out over everyone else. And you know, I think that it's interesting too about this album lasting so long is that a lot of these songs, it's all three of them. Mm-hmm. 
contributing a verse. If that song happens to have a underwritten hook, I've heard that underwritten hook a few times because you keep going into these fucking hot 16s or yep. really long verses. So, you know, it kind of runs itself out of town by the time the song ends. Definitely a disappointment. You know, it's interesting because Strem Life 3, as we've you know talked about it being close, not only has Ray Sherman had more time to record, but apparently they've also been recording because Mike Will was saying to Pitchfork that uh, it's going to be a triple album. Hmm. But rather than just be total bulk like Culture Two, at least they're differentiating it. It's going to be one disc is a sw- is a sway solo, swaycation. One disc is a solo from Slim Jimmy, Jim Traduction, and then the third disc was you know Strum Life Three, the two of them together. Sounds like something so at least that would do. Right. So at least that's like unique enough that you can kind of treat it and view it as three separate projects in a sense. Right. They're just putting it together because it's too obvious for the money, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Culture 2 itself, I kind of wish it just wasn't called Culture 2. You know, what? this could have just been a mixtape that you charged for, called something else. But yeah, a disappointment. Something that wasn't disappointing. Phantom Thread. So it was it finally in wide release uh, as of January 25th, I believe. It took forever. I which I forgot that it was. It finally got to wide release that weekend because it had just been coming out so slowly. I was like, oh, it has already been out by now. So I showed up to the theater and it was actually pretty packed. Like I couldn't believe how many people were there. <laughs> It's like, why? This movie's been out for a month now. Why are people just getting to it? it makes a lot of sense with the slow release. So this is Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie since 2014's Inherent Vice. Paul Thomas Anderson, widely regarded as probably top three filmmaker right now. Yeah. Something along I think those lines. it's like him and Christopher Nolan. Yeah. In terms of guys that are pretty well tenured. Yep. Been in the game a while. They're probably a step above Wes Anderson, but Wes Anderson's about the same age as them. They're, both, they're all around like 50 late 40s whatever what was your theater experience like for a packed theater because this is a a very unique movie uh it's unlike anything i saw throughout 2017 no doubt <laughs> well it, it was funny because uh obviously i've listened to some podcasts that like the bill simmons podcast had an interview with paul thomas anderson and they talked about how the movie is funnier than a lot of people realize so i went in and i was i was ready for that so i felt like i was laughing a lot at first when people weren't okay with that yeah. or weren't ready for that so i felt like Almost in a way, I was like leading them to be like, "Oh, I guess I can like laugh at this or giggle at this part," which was nice. Overall, you just don't know what you're watching at the start if you have no idea really going in. Exactly, the trailers don't tell you much. Uh, so, I mean, I felt that way as well. I was like, I didn't really didn't know what to think of it for the beginning. Yeah, but overall, I mean, it was interesting to watch with a group because uh, movies like this, I, I feel like I usually see with only a couple of people in the theater. So this was strange. It's hard to pick where to start with this. This is supposedly Daniel Day Lewis's last performance. He's been nominated for a best actor what did you take away from his performance in this movie uh yeah i mean it was definitely a great note to go out on if it was in fact mm-hmm. the last note yeah it's, it's it's a really good performance it's not as so in your face physical like lincoln and it's not as dramatic and emotional as say daniel plainview and there will be blood yep it's a much more measured dialogue role he's hilariously named reynolds woodcock <laughs> which is probably the, the sign you should know that this money movie is going to be low-key hilarious. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, some of like the one-liners, just the way he delivers those mm-hmm. lines. I mean, obviously he's, you know, it's been talked to death for good reason. He's such a stud. More than anything, I think it was K. Austin Collins wrote about this for The Ringer. He talked about like his hands in the movie. I thought his posture really was like so perfect like the way he would like just sit and like look at things or like stand as he's thinking about a dress like it's, he does those subtle things that no other exactly. actor really does in their performance also the way that he played off of alma vicky cripes 
was yeah their scenes back and forth were so tension filled but also like would have the perfect like when she was like m- making fun of him like blah, 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 blah. and it just like <laughs> broke the tension so perfectly and it really brought it down to like the absurdity of their relationship the absurdity of the expectations within their relationship she was a standout for me she was nominated for best actress i believe no, no Vicky Krebs was, was not nominated. it was leslie manville that was nominated correct right for best supporting actress. for support supporting yes Vicky Kripes, the movie doesn't work if she's not as good as she is. I mean, she's a relative unknown. I believe she's from Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. So her performance, because she has to play off Dana Day-Lewis in effectively every scene that she's in. She's such a good foil for him. And then once you realize how the movie's going to end and what's going to happen and the direction her character is going, I mean, she sells it so well. But it's so weird because the movie's so unique and some of the stuff in it is just so flat out absurd. <laughs> Not in like a in-your-face kind of way, just in kind of like, you, once you understand what you're actually watching and what's going on, it's just so surreal. And I think the movie's like so genius for that because the screenplay, which was not nominated for Best Original Screenplay, but the screenplay is so, so smart and mm-hmm. so well-written. And of course, DDL just can chew on dialogue in his sleep, and of course he does. But yeah, Vicky Cry, definitely a breakout. She'll have her pick of roles after this. Definitely. Yeah, it's so funny to think about certain moments in the movie. Like, I particularly go back to kind of like the final dinner scene between Dana Day-Lewis and Vicky Kripes. Yeah. And just like how much is said without them actually like saying or even really doing anything. The way he like holds the fork towards her or just like stares at her and then like breaks into that smile like of recognition and acceptance and happiness of the way that she's decided to handle their relationship. (laughs) I can't remember really seeing a, a movie about a relationship like this ever no especially one that works this well we should probably touch on leslie manville since she is nominated for best supporting actress the old so-and-so yeah cyril woodcock cyril i haven't heard that name since about james bond movie (laughs) (laughs) but yeah she was she was great she plays such a important but also low-key role in the movie reserved yeah which is important because if she if her character is any more boisterous like like her brother it would made the movie just a little bit too much i think i don't really have too much else to say about her performance anything that stood out to you particularly about it no it's just really strong again she really chews on her lines mm-hmm. i'm really happy that she was we saw that last week i'm really happy that she was nominated because i think best supporting act it was kind of weak at the bottom mm-hmm. octavia spencer looking at you <laughs> so the fact that this is getting recognized is wonderful honestly vicky Kripes also was worthy mm-hmm. would you consider her a best actress versus supporting i think she's probably a, a lead actress definitely she's definitely a lead in this movie to me you know i don't have the field in front of me i can't really recall it but i don't know if there's anybody in particular that i think she should have taken their spot over yeah i mean it would have probably been like uh, meryl streep she was the last pick yeah i haven't seen the post yet so i can't really speak to that i guess because i mean you're, you're taking mcdormand you're taking ronan you're taking sally hawkins and you're taking margot robbie so yeah definitely meryl streep who doesn't you know, honestly, Meryl Streep doesn't need the extra nomination that she's not no. winning. So give it to the newcomer, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree, but Meryl Streep is going to always get the nomination until she's yeah. dead. Big, that's big little lies, Meryl Streep. I know. Unbelievable, man. This is It's the peak <laughs> of peak TV. It's unbelievable. Indeed. So it's nominated for six Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Score, and Best Costume Design. Costume design is kind of hard to say. Yeah, who's it going up against for costume design? Because it's literally a movie that's about making the costumes. <laughs> it's an interesting point because it's like it's English. It, it is like a, a you know a set in the past movie, so you have like the retro vibe to the costumes. Uh, I just don't know if they stand out enough to win the award. It's going against Beauty and the Beast, 
The Darkest Hour, Phantom Thread, The Shape of Water, and Victoria Abdul. Of note, Beauty and the Beast and Darkest Hour, the same person is up for the award, Jacqueline Durr. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, that's probably just going to go to The Shape of Water. Probably. Usually the Best Picture winner or a top Best Picture contender sweeps a lot of down-ballot stuff. So yeah, it's probably just going to go Shape of Water, which is also a period movie, similar kind of case. So it's tough to make that argument. So if that's the case, I would imagine that this will probably get shut out of awards unless Johnny Greenwood wins for best score. Yeah, which, I mean, again, the the six nominations were such a surprise mm-hmm. that uh, you just kind of... It's a win in and of itself. Exactly, because the, the consensus was that not enough people had seen it. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't enough buzz. All the other award shows leading up to the Academy Award nominations reflected as such. So the fact that Especially like Leslie Manville, no one thought that was coming. No, let alone all the other ones. So DDL was probably the only nom that was on everyone's back. Like I said, Gold Derby, no one pre- predicted the Best Picture nomination. Mm-hmm. And those are the expert pre- award predictor people. So uh, the, the recognition is great. You know, it's funny you mentioned Paul Thomas Anderson as one of the greats of his generation. He's never won Best Director, nor has a movie he's made won Best Picture, which is also true for Christopher Nolan. After this Academy Awards, it'll still be true for both of them. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> It's kind of interesting how that goes. Yeah, you know, it's, I think it's one of those things similar to our discussion about the Grammys where sometimes people that put out the best work consistently don't always get honored for it, these sort of things, but their impact culturally is way bigger than people like Guillermo del Toro at this point. I have a theory about Daniel Day-Lewis. So about like three years ago when this movie was starting to like come about, people were saying like, oh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, probably going to be his last movie. He wants to just like make clothes in London now. And I was like, what? Just make clothes in London? But he was obviously just preparing for this shit. What if he's actually saying he's retiring from being an actor because that's the next role he's going to play? Thoughts? Oh, wow. Inception Daniel Day-Lewis, dude. You got to write that piece, dog. (laughs) I I like that a lot. That's dope. I mean, it'd probably be his favorite method acting experience ever, just getting to be lazy. It's like Daniel Day-Lewis acting in Birdman. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'd be down for that. No, I mean, I hope this isn't his last performance. My money would be that it's not. But if it is... 60? He's not that old. No, he's not that old. And he's so selective. I I can see him in a couple of years wanting to come back and do a role with director he feels is important or has a good piece. So we'll see. But overall, if this is it, Dan Day-Lewis, great career and a great last movie to go out on. We recommend seeing Phantom Thread when you can. And seeing all the Oscar movies, which we will be talking about. I, Tanya, will be coming up in a week or so. Uh, the Post will also get to any others that we haven't talked about that we should. We'll probably talk about the three billboards backlash at some point. Yeah, I should, I should probably get to that. I just have really no interest. It's interesting. No, I, I think it's it's, it's, it's worth seeing. watching. I, I think the whole backlash, not to spoil the convo, but the backlash isn't that the movie is bad or the movie is trash. It's just that it does some questionable things doesn't deserve as much of the high praise that it's going to get. That's basically what the, the argument is. But yeah, it, it's worth watching. It's, I mean, you're going to watch it now knowing all of this. Right. But yeah, I think it's worth watching to kind of understand how that goes because the alternative is probably The Shape of Water, <laughs> which is a movie that, as we've said, is for a movie about fish sex, it somehow wasn't that weird. <laughs> so <laughs> It's a great way to sum it up. We have a lot of things to talk about coming up. You know, February is interesting because we have basically Oscar movies. We have some TV we're going to be talking Waco and the end of the fucking world. Maybe touching on Versace. We have Justin Timberlake next week for music, followed by MGMT, Franz Ferdinand, Carsey Headrest. And then we also have Black Panther coming out end of the month. And then March comes around and Atlanta starts up. March has a lot of movies too. 
I think there's like five movies I want to see in March. It's going to kick into high gear so. pretty quickly here. So if you want to hear our takes on all of it, subscribe on YouTube, download on iTunes, and subscribe there as well. And also go to SoundCloud and leave us some comments, give us reviews, let us know what you think. You can find Dave at Martin Swagger, me at Shooting World Peace, the pod at Nostalgia Pod. Dave, Super Bowl predictions, dog. Let's see, what do you got? So Justin Timberlake is at the halftime show. <laughs> Album out Friday, like you said. We'll talk about that next mm. week. I wanted to ask you, how many of these new songs do you think he will play? Two. Uh, there's three singles out right now. The rest of the album will be out by the time the show starts, but the album will be that new, of course. Yeah, two. I was actually thinking maybe just one. Well, I was like, do you, do you think he opens it up with like supplies or filthy? Well, here's the thing. So Chris Stapleton is performing with it. Confirmed. Oh, it is confirmed? It, okay, it's well, confirmed. That, there, there it is. So yeah, with, with that, I think we're going to get both supplies and filthy, but I think it will be like... A minute of each. A medley. Something like that. I also think we're going to get, obviously, the one from last year, which is uh, Can't Stop the Feeling will probably be the closeout, uh, unfortunately. Damn it. Do you think a, a member of NSYNC will, will perform with him on stage? That's a good question. Is it more likely than Janet Jackson? That's the thing. Jan- Panorama Zone, Janet Jackson. I was going to say, with her being announced, now I'm like, hmm, Janet Jackson comeback starting this year. Honestly, I wouldn't care what else happened if he brought Jan Jackson back because he basically uh, his career was not affected by that the way hers was. Exactly. Uh, that would be awesome. You know, I would really like to see that. But yeah, the instinct thing is interesting because you remember when Beyonce's last time she had Michelle Williams and Kelly Rowland show up for mm-hmm. some Destiny's Child action. So that would be cool. But how many of those dudes are still in shape? Most none of them sing anymore. <laughs> Joey Fatone, you know? dog, get him out there. That'd be pretty cool though. That'd be pretty cool. Pink. So I think I believe the line is set on. Two minutes and five seconds, something like that, for her perform her national anthem performance. Oh, what do you right, think? Over under. I, I forget what's like the benchmark. Like what is like a? Cause did it blow by the the bet the line last year? It did by like twenty seconds or something. Who was it? Adele last year? I forget. Yeah, who whoever remembers this stuff. But yeah, it was something out of the past six years. Five times gone over, but it was like under every year before that. I'm gonna take over because Pink has good pipes. She does have good pipes. Also, like most people that do this, but you know, I'm still taking the over. She showed up to the Grammys in just uh, a t-shirt, flip-flops, and jeans, which, when you think about it, sometimes just going normal to these events can right. be the most like outlandish thing you can do. Did you see Little Uzi Vert's outfit? Yeah, it was something. It was something. He made a song called "All My Chains" uh, back in the day, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was about chains on his jeans. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, prediction for the, for the big game. What do you got? Thirty zip Eagles. Wow. I have uh, Patriots 93 to 5, so it's going to be one way or the other. No, I, I think it'll, it'll be typical Patriots Super Bowl, very close and go one way or the other. So yep. mm-hmm. definitely tune in. We will not be talking Super Bowl next week unless Patriots win. And uh, we will be talking Justin Timberlake, End of the Fucking World, and probably Itania or The Post. So tune in, leave us a rating review, give us some love on iTunes. Peace out. All my days, I pray.